Okay, good luck. We are doing now Sunday of Nayach. Of course, Nayach is the whole entire story of the flood. Plus, <laughs> so we begin the first verse. These are the children of Nayach. Nayach was a righteous man, perfect in his generations. Nayach walked with God. So Rashi's question here, classical Rashi, these are the children of Nayach. Nayach was a righteous man. So it says these are the children of Nayach. It should list his children, which it does in the next verse. Why instead does it start saying he was a righteous man and he walked with God? So Rashi gives two answers. One is, since the verse is mentioning him, it has to say his praise as we say the mentioning of a righteous person is a blessing. So since I mention Nayach, I have to say his praise. He was righteous, he was perfect, he walked with God. Another answer is, the reason why Nayach's righteousness is mentioned here is because it's teaching us that this, these are his main children. The main children, the main creations of the righteous are their good deeds. So I'm saying the true offerings of Nayach, his ultimate offerings, are his righteousness, his perfection, his walking with God. Now the verse says something sort of unusual. It says he was a righteous man, perfect in his generation. The question is, why do we have the word in his generation? And there are two different ways of understanding this. Some say, this is his praise, that even in a generation that was as complete, completely wicked as his, he was righteous. Do you imagine what he would be like if he had been in a righteous generation? Others say it's not praise. In his generation, according to the standards of his generation, he was righteous. If he had been in a more righteous generation, unless he had lived in the time of Abraham, he wouldn't have been considered anything so special. The verse says, Noach walked with God. So later, by Abraham, God said, walk before me. So what's the different implication in Noach walking with God and Abraham walking before God? So, and this of course follows the second explanation that Rashi gave on in his generation, we're saying here Noach needed support. He needed to walk with God because he needed God to support him. Now again, remember, Noach's generation was, of course, Abraham's generation was also wicked. But Noach's generation was even more wicked. But Abraham had the strength to walk, so to speak, on his own. Then we have a long grammatical Rashi on the word walked, his halif, where Rashi basically is explaining that this construction is one of the three forms of what we call heavy or intensive construction. There are seven verbal conjugations in Biblical Hebrew. Four are what we call light, and they don't have a strong dagesh in the middle letter of the root word. And three are called heavy or intensive, and they have this strong dagesh, which intensifies the pronunciation of the second letter of the root word. So the second letter here is the lamid, because the root word is halef, he lamid chap. So in that lamid, if you see, there's a dagesh, that dot in the lamid, and it's a strong dagesh to intensify the pronunciation of the lamid, which is in three forms of how we have in classical Lamudekoidish verbal conjugation. This is hispael, reflexive, and the lamid, the second letter of the root, is taking a dagesh. And Rashi is explaining that really this form, his halech, 
could either be in the future or in the past. And it sort of depends on context. Though Rashi seems to be saying that if it would be in the future, not really. Sometimes you have a verb that switches it from the past to the future, but here if you're looking at the examples Rashi gives, they don't all have verbs to switch them. So it could really go in either direction. Here it's in the past based on the context. Nayach walked with God. Next verse. Nayach had three sons, Shem, Chum, and Yafet. Next verse. So here, as when they were originally introduced, in the end of Parshish Gracious, they are not written in order of age. It was Yafet, then Chum, and then Shem. But shame is put first here, as Rashi explained to us, in the end of Parshish Gracious, because of his righteousness. Shame was the righteous, godly heir to Nayach. Next verse. And the earth became corrupt before God, and the earth became filled with robbery. So first, on corrupt, Rashi says there were two sins. Corruption is immorality and idolatry. And then, additionally, the earth became filled with robbery. The verse uses the word chamas, which Rashi explains means robbery. So we have immorality, we have idolatry, and we have robbery. Now we're saying robbery here. It could be viewed as robbing, simple robbery. It could be viewed in general injustice and fraudulence. Next verse. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupted. For all flesh had corrupted its ways upon the earth. So it says all flesh. It doesn't say all mankind. So Rashi explains all flesh, all flesh is even animals, even birds. They all were having relationships not with their own species. So all flesh, once man fell, his immorality penetrated all life on planet earth. Next verse. God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with robbery through them, and behold, I am about to destroy them from the earth. So Rashi says the end of all flesh. Rashi says whenever you find such promiscuous behavior, catastrophe comes to the world and kills all, bad, good and bad. Of course, at this point, we said there was this immorality, this promiscuous behavior, which would merit all destruction. So we can say, well, what do you mean good and bad? The only good people in the world were Nayach and his family, and they were saved. So some say it means there were children, maybe innocent children that had not yet had enough time to sin. They were still too young to sin. Maybe babies died. So they died just part of the general wave of calamity. Others say that God even considered wiping away Nayach, the only truly righteous person, because of this wave of immorality that so was sweeping the world that everyone should get wiped up in its path. And then we said, if you look back at the verse, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with robbery. So Rashi says their sentence was sealed because of the robbery. Of course, Rashi's previous comment was the immorality is what caused this wave of destruction, this 
tidal wave of the flood that destroyed the whole world. So it seems both issues were here. The immorality and the idolatry is leading to the catastrophe that's killing all, but the sentence was sealed because of the robbery. Although the robbery here, I'm explaining, was just like very petty, malicious robbery. Like Josh says that, let's say you were an apple seller, and like 100 people will come and say, oh, let me take a taste of an apple, and they bite into an apple, and they put it down. I mean, they, what do they take from you? One bite of an apple. Of course, you can't sell that apple. But have 100 people do that to 100 different apples, and your whole, you know, cart is destroyed. So it's sort of a, a very petty and cruel form of petty thievery. Just, like, just to be mean. Just to cruelly, cruelly hurt each other. That was the type of robbery we're talking about here, which again implies the general cruelty of mankind at this time, the, the general destruction of any good values. They don't have moral values. They don't have values toward God. They don't even have general humane practices among people. God said, I'm about to destroy them from the earth. The way this is written, Esharetz, Rashi says, really means from the earth with the earth. Well, actually, Rashi gives two explanations here. The first explanation is from the earth in the simple sense. I'm destroying man from the earth. His second explanation is from the earth means literally I'm taking away the earth itself. That about 9 to 12 inches of the earth were dissolved and washed away. Now, Russia doesn't say why, but I'm assuming maybe the same way they were immoral, maybe also what they planted was also crossbreeding. That, that was my assumption. I could be wrong. But it seems to imply there's a direct connection that how much earth was destroyed, the depth of a plow, the depth that the blade of a plow digs into. So possibly the same way man was immoral, the same way the animals and all the living creatures, mixed species, maybe also in the plantings they did, so the earth itself had to be washed away. Obviously, that's something to do with what they were doing with the earth because the earth itself is being washed away here. So God continues. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make the ark with compartments and tar inside and outside with pitch. So Rashi says, make for yourself an ark. And Rashi questions, there are many ways God could have saved Noah. Why did he bother him for 120 years to be building an ark? But God did this very deliberately because he wanted it to be very public knowledge. People would say, what are you doing? And he'd say, oh, God's going to destroy the world. And for 120 years, he keeps telling people, God's going to destroy the world, that hopefully it will bring people to repent. Now, it did it. God struck. Gopher wood. So this is a certain type of wood, but why specifically is this the wood we're using? Because gopher is like the word gophers. Gophers, which means sulfur. Because this is how this generation was wiped away, meaning the waters of the flood were hot and sulfurous. Verse said to make an ark with compartments. The compartments had different living areas because each species of animal had its own living area, as, of course, you want them each to be separate. And God said, tar inside and outside with pitch. We have a long comparison here to the 
ark, that little ark that Moses, baby Moses, was placed in, where there, because the waters were not so strong, his was only pitched on the outside. The waters were not so strong, and Moses shouldn't have to suffer from the smell of the tar. But here, by the flood, the waters were very, very strong. So therefore, it had to be tarred inside and outside. A light should you make for the ark. To a cubit, finish it from above. The entrance of the ark, you should put it in its side. Make it with bottom, second, and third decks. So Rashi says, a light, sohar. And Rashi gives two explanations. What was this light? Some say it was a window. Some say it was a precious stone which provided light. So the reason why we have this difference of opinion, you could say looking at the verse, is it says, Sohar ta'aselateva, make this Sohar. So making would imply a window because you don't make a precious stone. But if so, if it means a window, literally make the window. If it means a precious stone, ta'asa means prepare the stone. Man doesn't make stones, he prepares them. But then we would say, well, obviously it's a window, so why do we even have this question? Because if it meant a window, the common word for window in Hebrew is chalon. So why would the verse use such an unusual, never in any other context used for window called sohar? So that would imply maybe it's not a window. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's this precious stone which gives light. Finish it, a cubit, finish it from above. So this is talking about the roof slopes upward till narrows at the top and stands at a cubit. So the rainwater should flow downward. In other words, it wasn't a flat top because it was a flat top. All the water that was pounding and washing away the world would also pound away the ark. So therefore, it was curved upward. It was sloping from this cubit top that would allow the rainwater to flow downward and not just soak the roof of the ark. Now, there's many different explanations. What does Rashi mean here when he says it was standing at a cubit? According to some commentators, along the entire length of the ark, there was a space a cubit wide, which again is a sloping from the cubit wide that the rainwaters would wash away from. According to the others, no, the ark came to like a peaked top one cubit square. From that cubit square, the rainwaters flowed flow down. According to the others, it was a cubit long and a sixth of a cubit wide, which would be proportionate to the dimensions of the arc, which was 300 cubits long and 50 cubits wide, one-sixth. This is a cubit long and a sixth of a cubit wide. In any of the three options, they're all bringing out the same point, how the waters, instead of striking and resting on the top of the arc, sloped off, rolled down, and sloped away. It says you should put the door on its side, Rashi says, so the rain shouldn't fall into it, and make these three floors. The top floor was for men, the middle floor was for the animals, the animals, the beasts, the birds, and the lowest floor was for all the garbage. Next verse. And I, behold, I am about to bring the floodwaters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which there is a breath of life from under the heavens. Everything that is in the earth shall expire. Rashi says, I'm ready to agree with those who've said to me, what, what are you making that for? Now, the Hebrew word for this flood is called a mabel. 
And Rashi gives three alternative options. What is the root word of this noun, mabo? Rashi gives three different verb root words. One is from navo, nun, beis, lamid, to decay. Now, very often, when you're conjugating, you could drop the first letter. So nun gets dropped, and then you have beis, lamid, which is the mabo, because it decayed everything. Or from the word bilel, to confuse, because it confused everything. Or yavol, to bring, again here with the yud, the first letter gets dropped, because it moved everything, it transported everything that was situated in a higher place to a lower place. So either mabel from destruction, decay, it destroyed everything. Mabel from confusion, it confused everything. Or mabel from to bring because it shifted everything. All of the things that were in the higher places floated down. It actually says everything floated to Babylonia, which is very deep. And that's where it says another term for Babylonia is shinar. Shinar, which means to stir because the waters of the flood shook the corpses of the dead about and transported them to the depths of Babylonia which was a deep valley in that area. Next verse. I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall enter the ark, you and your son's wife, and your son's wives with you. The Rashi says, I will establish my covenant. What does he need a covenant for? So there was two, obviously probably there were many things. But we're saying here two things, specifically one, that the fruits he took with him shouldn't mold. He was in the ark for a year. And that the wicked shouldn't kill him because that is what they were planning on doing. What, you think you're going to get saved? I'll kill you before you get into the ark. We see the order, you and your sons and your wife, when they, when they left the ark, it says, Nayach, leave the ark. You and your wife, your sons and your sons' wives. When they went in, it separated the men and the women, you and your sons and your wife and your wife's sons. So the men and women were separate from which we learned that they couldn't have any relationships during the whole time they were in the ark, meaning the world is being destroyed. Yes, you're saved, but the world is being destroyed. Next verse. And from all the living of flesh, two of each that you bring into the ark to keep alive with you, male and female. From all that live, even demons, two of each, at least two, one male and one female, so the species could continue to keep alive with you, whole ones, not ones that had wounds that they would die from, because the idea is that these animals, which also couldn't have relationships in the ark, that when they left the ark, they would continue that species. From each bird according to its kind, and from each animal according to its kind, and from each thing that creeps on the ground according to its kind, two of each will come to you to keep alive. This was the only way all of these species of animal and of bird and of insects could survive the flood. Now when it says each bird or each animal according to its kind, Sarashi says only those that stuck to their own species and didn't corrupt themselves. Remember we said before that the animals also were corrupted following the corruption of man and mated with other species. So no animal that mated with another species could be saved during the flood. How in the world was Noah supposed to know which animals stayed true to their species and which corrupted themselves? So it's explained Noah was not the zoologist that searched the world and, and came and found the, every 
two of each species. Rather, the animals all came to him. He did not go to them. They came to him. And any animal that the ark would absorb, no one knew these were kosher. These had stuck to their species. And as for you, take for yourself every food that is eaten and gather for yourself as food for you and for them. So you have what to eat for the year. Last verse of today's portion, Noah did according to everything God commanded, so he did. What did he do? This specific so he did refers to constructing the ark. It doesn't refer to entering the ark because Noah hadn't yet been commanded to do that. We're going to have that soon. Good talk.